Okay, if you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 12, I will be reading Acts chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Acts 12, 18 through 24. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and historical words to our hearts and minds. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious. You are the sovereign. Lord Jesus, you are king of all kings. You set up earthly monarchs and take them down at will. And the beauty is that sinners like us can see it and love it because of your mercy to us through the cross, your bloody cross for our sin and your glorious resurrection for our hope unto all eternity. So let these truths ring here in this congregation this morning. Let our hearts embrace them and see them and be moved by your Holy Spirit through them to the glory of your name. Amen. Last week we began chapter 12. This week we continue on with the story in chapter 12. And together the main point is clear. God created the universe for His glory. And those who oppose His glory by lifting themselves up, they will, they will in the end lose. Not only that though, those who were glory seekers and are now objects of God's mercy and thus turn to lift up His glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter their circumstance in this life, they will win and they will conquer in the end. 
As we saw last week, Luke portrays the early church, the church in Jerusalem, as clearly feeling utterly insignificant in the vast Roman Empire, particularly with a a self-centered, self-glorifying King Herod Agrippa who just killed some of their brothers and sisters and killed one of their main leaders, a close friend of Jesus, James, the son of Zebedee. But then the story turns, because after Herod arrests Jesus, God chooses miraculously to send an angel and get Peter out of Herod's prison. And then we see this morning, he sends an angel to kill Herod. And the truth then goes marching on and it multiplies and increases. But that reality there of God's people, it has been the story of human history. Feeling insignificant. Feeling lonely in empires and governments and threats and cultures. Like the last century where Thousands upon thousands of brothers and sisters in Jesus felt utterly abandoned at times in the old Soviet Union. Utterly insignificant and tortured, many unto death, imprisoned for years, maybe released. Oh God, how long? Whether in the Soviet Union or in communist China and today behind the Islamic bloc. But here's the key. Even though 43 people knew who their name was. They will win in the end. And so the message that all the saints who went before us have sent in All kinds of horrific circumstances are not so horrific throughout the last 20 centuries. The message is clear to all believers at all times. Hold to the gospel. Let me just say the same thing a little bit more clearly. Hold to the clear contextual meaning of the Holy Scriptures. Hold firm. Because in every age and in our age, the arrogant, the self-glorifying deceivers are everywhere. Everywhere. In our culture today, and it is seeping into the church. The doctrines that say, up, is really down. Believe it. Down is really up. Male. It's really female. Female is really male. Oh, sin is defined in that old-fashioned book called the Bible. (laughs) No, no, no. That stuff is actually to be praised and adored for the sake of of love. And for the sake of 
Jesus in his name. But the admonition that comes through this narrative of Herod this morning are the words of Jesus. Follow the narrow path that leads to life. Seek the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as we have seen, God allowed James to die. And then, he chose differently concerning Peter. And miraculously, through an angel, sprung him from Herod's prison. And then we see this morning, he chooses to kill Herod. And so, the sun has come up the next morning after the Passover, after that night of the angels springing Peter from the prison. And we pick up in verse 18 of chapter 12 of Acts. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance. No kidding. They are frantic, those guards. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries. I mean, how could that possibly happen? Two of them were chained to Peter. They must have taken bribes. And then he ordered that they should be put to death. And then he, Herod, went down from Judea, from Jerusalem, to Caesarea. And spent time there. So here's Herod. He is utterly shocked and very angry. Because this prison break was unexplainable. Getting out of the Antonia fortress there in Jerusalem. He had 16 guards just responsible for one prized prisoner. And now he's not there Anymore, And they search and search all over town and can't find him anywhere. And those poor guards must have been, besides being baffled, how did that happen? Well, God made that happen. But frightened out of their minds because they know in their time and in their culture, you're a prison guard and that's the prisoner you're responsible for. He's gone. You forfeit your life. And so Herod was furious. Why? As we saw last week, he was all about political poll numbers with the Jewish people. And now that came crashing down by losing Peter. His pursuit of glory with the Jews which is essentially the kingdom that he has been given some kind of sovereignty over by Rome, that now has been stripped from him. He's mad. Executes the guards. He says, I'm done. And he gets out of Jerusalem, where he already moved, basically his palace from Caesarea to Jerusalem, for years to cater and to read the Bible in the temple every day. And if it pleases the Jews, I'm pleased because Rome's pleased with me in keeping the peace. And that's why he had James put to death and why he was going to do it with Peter. Now politically he's in trouble and he gives up on the Jews. We know this because 
the first century historian, Josephus, actually, you know, within the first two or three years of the church, that's when he was actually born. And he was born a Jew in a priestly family, etc. I don't want to get into his long history. But later in the centuries, right in the history of the Jews, and he gives us more information about Herod. And it was at that time where he says, Herod, that was it. He stopped caring about pleasing the Jews. And now he became very Roman when he went up again to Caesarea. Caesarea. Caesar. Rhea. And that's what he's doing. So now feel the tension that, that James, I mean, excuse me, Luke portrays here. You got James, you got Peter, you got these early Christian Jews who loved the message of Jesus, who loved the Christ, who loved the glory of God through Jesus. And now you got Herod, who loved the praise of men. And Jesus said in John 5.44, How can you believe, meaning the truth, when you receive glory from one another as creatures? And you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. So Herod is running into a head-on collision now with God. None of us, none of us can be devoted to the Lord Jesus and be at the same time pursuing our own glory. Pursuing the praise of other creatures for us. It will always lead to a horrific end. Every theological seminary student should have it drilled into them that there is a fine line in ministry between being faithful and seeking Glory, popularity. Luke tells us the story. You got to think of. You got to always think about this in the Book of Acts, especially. There are ten thousands of things he knows. He doesn't tell us. The story would have flowed perfectly. Peter's out of jail, great, and just move on up to Antioch like he's going to do. Why does he tell us this? About Herod. There's got to be a reason in Luke's mind. There's got to be a reason in God's sovereign hand's mind. He tells us this because he wants the believers, the readers, to see the sin and the stupidity of glory seeking. All things Luke knows because it's the gospel. All things under creation are ultimately pointing to the glory of God. And in that context, all things are also pointing to this tiny, darkened, little soul of Herod Agrippa being struck down and eaten up by worms. 
And so the, the accurate historian that, that Luke is, he summarizes Herod Agrippa's downfall in verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So, Tyra and Sidon, you look on your little Bible map, a little bit up north, don't do it now. <laughs> you, you, you go up north, they're port cities like San Pedro and, and Long Beach Harbor, well, not quite that big, but th their economy depends on that. But they don't have their own farming industry. They're dependent on the country, Judea, which is next door for their food from where they buy it. But now King Herod, and it's, that's his realm, he's very angry, and that's a very dangerous situation. So they send a bunch of diplomats, and they... They pull diplomatic strings with, with Herod's Secretary of State or White House Chief of Staff, however we're going to look at it. The guy has power. And basically he's saying, tell Herod we'll do whatever he wants so we can feed our people. We can keep them alive. And what Herod saw now here was another opportunity to exalt himself. Another opportunity to be adored and praised. Pick up with verse 21. So, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration, a speech to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. In paganism, many gods, many humans wanted to deem themselves gods. The Caesars constantly got in trouble with that, this megalomaniac kind of an idea. I'm a god, and here was now Herod. And again, the historian of the first century, Josephus, gives us more details about this. He says, Herod was seeking more and more favor with Caesar and, and with Rome. And so what he did is he put on athletic games, like miniature Olympics there in Caesarea, and did it in honor of Caesar. So this thing's going on for a number of days. People are crowded into Caesarea, and we're going to see with Tyre and Sidon, and those people are there also. And it is in the context of that festival, games, public settings, that Luke tells us what he tells us. In the midst of the games and these celebratory gatherings, he writes, on an appointed day, according to Josephus, during these athletic events, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered this speech. Luke doesn't tell us 
any of the content of what Herod said, but he decided to focus on two things. On his robe and what he looked like, and on the response of the crowds. And Josephus tells us about the robe. He tells us it was a robe that was made of spun silver. Basically, the whole thing is silver. And when the sun hits it, it would just it just had this blinding glare off of it. Like if you just wrapped yourself with tinfoil and gave a big speech in the middle of the day with the sun hitting it. Okay, that's what happened. And then he says, yeah, the crowd was mesmerized by this. And they said, a voice of a God. The voice of a God. They were ascribing deity to King Herod Agrippa I. Here's the point. He gladly received it. He loved the glory that was attributed to him. So remember, as we saw last week, God is sovereign. He's in absolute control of all these happenings, ultimately. He allowed this. In his judgment, he allowed Herod to go all the way in receiving such praise from men. I think one clear reason is so that we can see. We can see where that, that kind of self-centeredness and, and, and self-adulation and self-exaltation leads if we do not continue to crucify that temptation that fleshly temptation in our own lives as it rises up. So what's about to happen now in our passage is what Jesus himself clearly declared in Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we read. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So again, Herod says on that day, as the sun hit his robe, there was this blinding light coming off of it as he spoke. And the crowd did get carried away in some kind of, whether it's just a frenzy or just, you know, okay, just please him, right? Flatter him, whatever. But the voice of a God. And then Josephus tells us immediately Herod went down with horrific pain in his belly. 
tapeworms, parasites eating him up, he went down. And over the next five days, he suffered in horrific pain and then died at age 54. As we saw last week, I mean, Herod and that whole Herodian family going back to his grandpa, Herod the Great, and boy, what a mess of a family. I've read a lot on it this week from Josephus. He should have least known enough. He read the Bible regularly, mainly for show. He knows the stories. Not only that, he, he should have had a clue when the Apostle Peter just disappeared. Maybe, maybe there's a God. Maybe the God of the Jews is real. And he should have clearly have known the story of King Nebuchadnezzar when we read in Daniel 4, as he most obviously had read, quote, At the end of 12 months, he, Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among human beings. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until... You know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. He should have known the story. Now, unlike, it seems as if, after seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar was mercied by God, probably born again. He got it. He saw it. But not so with Herod. God sent his messenger to strike him down. And our text is very clear on why God did it. It's right there in the middle of verse 23. He struck him down. Killed him at age 54. Why? Because. There's the word. That's why. Because he did not give God the glory. That's why. And so he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. The message is clear. God is not to be trifled with. 
He created the universe for His glory. And those who oppose His glory by exalting themselves will sooner or later lose. For us to seek glory for ourselves It is to declare war on God. God was clear in Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Nor my praise carved idols. God created the world and God saves sinners. People like us. Why? In order to extend His glory. Or in order to make a name for Himself. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. And you can't be more clear than the Apostle Paul about the gospel of Jesus on this issue than Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. So, dear believer, hear these words and how precious they are and what a merciful God He is. He predestined us for adoption. Got to get a picture because the Roman adoption, we do get, gosh, if you don't know the movie, Ben-Hur, see it! (laughs) Okay? And when Ben-Hur, by that Roman, saved his life, he eventually becomes a real son and inheritor of all. Adoption was huge, hugely significant in the Roman Empire. And this is the time this is written. Adoption. Father Himself as sons, daughters, all through Jesus Christ. And this happened according to the purpose of His will. And then He says, why did He do this? He did it unto the praise of His glorious grace. That we, the redeemed, would easily, heartfelt, deep praise to you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's why. Paul says it this way in 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Jesus one day, who was resurrected and who has ascended, He's coming back. He's going to raise from the dead all who belong to Him unto eternal glory. He's coming back. But here's the way Paul puts it. When He, Jesus, comes on that day, and then He says, here's the purpose. For what reason? For what purpose? In order to be glorified. In his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. That's what Herod wanted in his own way. That's what every one of us sinners giving into our sin want in our own ways. But only one is worthy. Until we as believers, and if we're not believers, we really need to feel the fear. To be aware of the temptation to our pride, to our arrogance, to our self-exaltation. For Herod, his war on God was eternal suicide. Because God always wins. When James was killed, it really seemed as though Herod and evil were winning. But no. Just a little bit longer. Months later, a year later, Herod is now dead by God's sovereign hand his body is rotting. And he awaits the future judgment day to be cast into the lake of fire forever. James, the son of Zebedee, was also killed. His body deteriorating. But he was with the, in the very presence of his friend Jesus. And then and still now, he awaits a future day of resurrection unto unending glory of the experience of God's very eternal glory saving Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. The message this morning is crystal clear. The promotion and glory-seeking of ourselves is inherently wrong by definition. Self-glorification, the seeking to be praised, is inherently wrong for creatures. But it is inherently right and holy and good for the one and the only eternal creator. Just to make it short, John Piper concisely puts this in his book, Desiring God, this way. Quote, Because God 
is unique, is an all-glorious, totally self-sufficient being, he must be for himself if he is to be for us. The rules of humility that belong to the creature cannot apply in the same way to its creator. If God should turn away from himself as the source of infinite joy, he would cease to be God. He would deny the infinite worth of his own glory. He would imply that there is something more valuable outside himself. He would commit idolatry. Self-promotion, seeking to be praised, is inherently sinful for creatures. And it is inherently holy and right and righteous and good for the one and only Creator. So what we have in our passage is Herod. He's a parable for us. He's an example of utter foolishness. And yes, in the world's eyes, for a time, just a short time, he seemed to really be something. But the joke is on people like Herod in the end. The joke is on people like us who have been born of Adam and Eve, who have eaten of the tree of I want to be like God. Sounds good to me. I want to be his equal. I don't want to be under him telling me what's right or wrong, good, or evil. I will make those decisions. Thank you. We want, because of our birth in this world from Adam and Eve, we want to be the center of the universe. And Herod's end was death and a future judgment. And the only reason that we who are Christians will receive something far better than that. The only reason we will not receive the judgment that Herod will is because of the unmerited mercy and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And then we see, because of that, in believers on this earth, we see, it, we see tastes. We never see perfection, but we see taste of a fruit of it. I mean, for instance, a few chapters back in chapter 10, remember, here was Peter. He goes to, to Caesarea and into Cornelius, the Roman centurion's home. And we read this. When Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him. And fell down at his feet and worshipped Peter. But Peter lifted him up saying, No, stand up. I too am a creature. Well, he didn't use that word. A man. We're all 
just creatures. No worship goes to us. We are called to be like Peter and not like Herod. And a few decades later, this apostle Peter wrote to us. He really did. He wrote to all Christians. Even consciously in his time throughout the entire Roman Empire, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches, send this, copy it, and get it to all the churches. And he wrote these words to us. Dear believers, though you have not seen Jesus as I, Peter, have, think about it. You love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. It's filled with glory. And you're obtaining as the outcome of that. That's, that is what faith is at its core. You're obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Those two verses right there, they are our ongoing hope. They are the ongoing secret to the Christian life. The ongoing secret to refusing to be praised. I mean, inordinately. I'm not saying someone says, that was a really good hit. No, 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 no. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. That was a real blessing that you fed me food. You're welcome. We're talking, we're not talking about, Phil, i got to always throw in, you know, only to God be the glory. Don't be a robot. That's not the point. You know when you give glory to God and when you're not. Because we, we, hopefully by God's grace, know our hearts. The secret to cut that is the constant. I don't see Him, but I believe in Him. Oh. Man, the salvation of my soul is the end result. I can't wait to see Him. Or another way to say it is, the secret to cutting the roots of this self-glorification is by finding more delight and more joy and more purpose and more meaning and more comfort in the glory of God than in anything that this world can offer us. And as we go into the presence of God, but God is omnipresent. Then you don't get it. No. There are many times He is not present or you're not present with Him. We do not feel His pleasure. We are not there. It's because of our sin and of our heart. But the more that we go into the presence of God, it is there we feel. There we know the unworthiness of ourselves. Apart from God's mercy. In grace. And at those moments, think about it. Isn't this true for us? It is at those moments, stronger than any other moment, the last thing we want to do is to steal glory from our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our greatest joy, as Peter puts it, is reveling in the glory of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
It is He. It is He alone who is our hope of future unending glory and happiness in praising and enjoying His glory forever. Because it's our goal as believers to be found in Him. To be found, wrapped up in the glory of His mercy extended to sinners like us through the bloody cross of God the Son. And so unlike King Herod, we believers give God the glory by singing songs like the one we're going to close this service with this morning. Man of sorrow. Hear the words before we stand and give God the glory. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as He stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will. He took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me on the cross. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee, sent of heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones, you and me, who nailed Him to that tree. Let us stand and pray it and sing it out to the glory of our great God and Savior.